a riddle wrapped in a mystery, inside an enigma, tied off with a who really cares? It's Kiddo's Nasty Notes. <laughs> Hello. I'm Sir Dr. Alex Sarand. Due to a gentleman's agreement and strict contract with his lawyers, I'm obliged to read Gibbo's nasty notes on this dreadful podcast. I'm a retired professor of Western civilization, marooned here on this godforsaken Pacific island. The lawyers do permit me to say that I have had a difficult history with Gibbo, and that I really do read these notes reluctantly. That's right, listeners. Each week, my conservative old Western Civ professor meets me at a studio to read aloud whatever I write for him. He also has a right of reply to defend himself. My name is Tarquin Gibbs, and my advice is don't make bets or gentlemen's agreements. Oh, and our no-nonsense Jane helps with the music and technical side of things. Enjoy. Set the record straight. I have prepared a brief biographical note. Raised in Tianjin, educated in England and on this island, I took a BA at the big university, and then a DPhil in Western civilization at Magdalen College. Following my graduate studies, I worked as a merchant banker. As a teller on the front desk, and then as an associate assistant deputy director in the foreign affairs office, tirelessly working on its first ever static web page. People write the most ghastly fantasies on LinkedIn.com. They should hang their heads in shammy. Such engorged daydreams call for the salty contractions of corrective embarrassments. Ah, my biography is not a LinkedIn fantasy, but it is of sorts a confession. Ah, ah, I have digressed. After my service in the Foreign Affairs Office, I began my distinguished career as a don. In a line of first-rate schools for clever young boys, which on the island are known as state primary schools, it was in them that I carried on my work promoting the ethos of Western civilization. It was also in those schools that I acquired the title Sir, a term of playground endearment used by the boys. Cephalic, they would shout in those beguilingly vital voices, and I've been known ever since as Sir Alex Saran. It was around this time that I also found employ as an understudy in various theatrical productions, including Miss Marple and all creatures great. And small. Then, while working as a director of Western civilization at the big school, there came the complaint, followed by the dismissal, or should I say, the dean's corruption, followed by my complaint, examined by her Marxist feminist cronies, followed by my dismissal. 
But it was after my termination, when I was on my own, and quite lonely, that the cruelest providential wound was received. If a wound ever is received, it was then that I was approached by Beelzebub himself and made my gormless deal with Gibbo for a mere three hundred euros a week. I signed a contract to read Gibbo's nasty notes, small stipend in punishment for losing the quiz. Not that I knew his scribbles were so thoroughly depraved. He'd topped his paper pile with bland Nietzsche poems. Now, each week, I receive a new set of notes that grow more vulgar by the dirty inch. He directs me to use ridiculous voices that are difficult and embarrassing to do. Oh, and Jane, his engineer for the podcast, makes me look as foolish as she possibly can. I am being made to sing songs written for 14-year-old boys. You gonna fafa ding dong ra ra style. My word, despair. I've been had. A brazen shakedown. I've no underwear and I've been locked out of my suite. All this because he wants to punish me for what he perceives to be my conservative politics. I do admire Rupert Murdoch, and Gibbo does not. Mr. Murdoch is a great man. I, I, I once mistyped his name and spelt Mount Murdoch, and why indeed not? This podcast is a humiliation. Oh, I must bear with as much stoic fortitude as I can muster. We will start with Gremlins, the Kremlin, on Root Word Hotspot. Root Word Hotspot Root Word Hotspot Hey listeners, Gibbo here. Root Word Hotspot is part of the show I keep to myself. Sometimes I sit in with Sir Alec and Jane while they record my notes, and other times I punch in, punch out in the editing room if I want to comment on something Sir Alec has said. But I've grown attached to Root Word Hotspot, so I'm keeping it for myself. Our first words for the day are Gremlin, Kremlin. In the 1950s, gremlins were Russian spies sent from the government headquarters of the Soviet Union. Agents of the now-superseded KGB were known by MI6 as Gremlins. The popular children's film, Gremlins, was inspired by the Cold War's Reds Under the Beds campaign when fear of Russian spies was at its peak, and this terror later fed into the screenwriter's musophobia, that is, his fear of mice. Our final root word of the day concerns not one word, but three. 
My entry is sanctum, rectum, dictum. All of these words refer to a sacred place. In German, the rectum means treasure chest and riches. Reck and Reich derive from realm, which in turn derives from rim. A quivering rim is what happens when a basketball hits the hoop, and the Germans call this a trembling realm. One of the greatest Latin dictums is sanctum rectum, and how people feel about this connection between the sanctum and the rectum is largely determined by where they are on the spectrum. Turning aside from dictum und rectum, let's now turn to another intriguing Latin topic, nomen est omen, otherwise known as a nominative determinism. Eww, what a mouthful. What is nominative determinism? Well, a regular person would say, your fate's your name. For example, her surname's Puncher, and she gets in lots of fights. I once met a married couple with the surname Cow and Ling, Stuart and Minnie Cow and Ling. She was Chinese from Shanghai, and he was born on the island. I said, so you went with the double-barreled, hyphenated surname? No, she said, Stuart was born a Cow and Ling. Listeners, that is nomen est omen. From the very moment Stuart was christened Ling, he was fated to marry a girl from Shanghai. I know a man named Jerry who only dates women over 75. Fascinating. But oh, no, no, yes, oh, I can feel the muse taking me from below. Uh, no, please, Tarquin, not another poem. Yes, yeah, the, the muse, the muse, yes, here it is. The muse, the muse, jelly, g g g g galley. Can warm, tight jelly clamp hot nerve? Wobbly jelly clench flame tighter than a fist? Oh, jelly, jelly, galley with a g g g. What sly lord fashioned moulds of such profundity? Blushing jelly, <laughs> apricot burnished, plum too. Ah, split peach with plum heart, cordial musket, skinned Shiraz. Astral gossamer webbing fingers plucking night harp. Apricot cheeks, split flesh plum, crystalline wet unwetness, warmer than breast, warm as heart. Compressed crisp sound pushing bodies towards plum sounds, assonant amplified vision. Burnished sunset rising on the tongue, hard on palate, ripple ridged, hallowed chamber, cup of the chalice of the chamber, for the sound and speech of words the body floats in, beyond time, amniotically, form of spheres, holding all heat coolly, spacelessly in space. <laughs> well, I think we can all see that by 
blushing jelly, he means the human buttocks. And would you believe the text has the letters P-O-E-M penciled over it? (laughs) Really? Now, I have a little sting that I made with the help of Jane. Yes, she was at last kind enough to indulge my request. Here it is. It's a special one. Murdoch. Phobia. Murdoch. Phobia. Murdoch. Phobia. Gibbo's been promising to regale us with his sorry anecdote about Rupert Murdoch since episode one. In the interim, I asked Jane to compose the Murdochophobia introductory music we have just listened to because, indeed, this is what Gibbo suffers from, an almost unparalleled and irrational fear of the great Sir Dr. Rupert Murdoch. I think the truth is that Gibbo has an ant in his bonnet about not being the son of a tycoon. <laughs> well, anyway, here's Gibbo's sad lament. This is a true story told from my heart. Why couldn't I have been the son of a tycoon? Just think what I could have done for feminism. Do Murdoch's sons race with my handicaps? Do they wake in the morning to face the hardships people like me do? Listener, you know I'm not a butch, violent man of unbelted machismo. But there was one moment I almost unleashed a super-masculine fury. I had the chance to destroy Mr Murdoch and his sons, to pace them into the bitumen across which they royally strode. I had a chance, but... but I was too polite to take it. Too polite. Four men are crossing the street. Rupert, Lachlan, James, and one of their media chiefs. I'm racing down the island's Fleet Street in a rusty Ford laser. A woman friend is at the wheel. We accelerate over a rise, and the men step right into our path. We're speeding, but not so fast I can't see it's Mr Murdoch and his cocksure sons. Masters of the universe, captains of industry, big buckle daddy bronco dogs, macro-economic, 12-inch geopolitical, king's council, I'm a businessman kind of guys. They are startled. Fear races across their eyes. Their gaze assesses me. How fast? How close? Close enough, my good fellas. Very close, my made men. In the instant before we collide, the world slows, and I am in a timeless place, the realm of the good male geisha. Oh, look, Lachlan and James, and oh, Rupert himself. Ah, little ducklings, crossing the road. I must slow down, nay, I must stop, to show them that even people rotting in rusty Ford lasers, a gentleman too. Then another voice, a bad geisha says, A trial would find you innocent. They're practically jumping under the car. And then again the noble geisha, The sacred drop of life within us all makes us equal. And this life drop must be respected. 
the commonwealth of man, woman, and those identifying as both and or neither must be honoured. Finally, the bad geisha thundered over everything. Do it! Do it now! Knock them down, I yelled. And my driver hit the brakes and looked at me like I was mad. Lachlan offered a polite wave that said thanks, but Rupert didn't notice at all, focused as he was on the truffle of triumph hanging from the stick in front of his nose. The fact is, the truth is, I saved the Murdoch's lives. I could have pulled the wheel from my friend's hands. Think how many guns wouldn't have been sold if I'd shut the Murdoch operation down then and there. Why honour the spark of life in those who denigrate it? Better to honour the snark of life instead. My wasted opportunity is a thick, wiry hair in my craw. I could have saved the world. Oh, what self-pity. And when I told Tarquin so, he fluffed and huffed and promised he'd make me sing a very special song this week. But before I sing Gibu's odious songbird segment, I'm compelled to correct his misrepresentation of Sir Dr. Rupert Murdoch. Can he prove Fox News increased gun sales? Where's the incontrovertible evidence? What can be proved is that Rupert Murdoch is one of the greatest men to bestride the 20th and 21st centuries. All his detractors did naught to diminish him. From a small city in a remote country, he built a transnational empire. He made what appeared impossible advances, repeatedly. It wasn't luck. It was human ingenuity. No one bettered his tactics or bested his strategies. Rupert Murdoch is the torchbearer for Western civilization. His empire is our empire, his dream our dream. There's none who's been a superior guardian of liberal democracy. I always felt an enlivening affinity between the School of Western Civilization and News Corp when I was the former's director. We saw him as the light on the hill and the vanguard of the Anglosphere. I will never deny that he has always been an inspiration to me. But that orangutan, no, that lesser ape, Gibbo, has fantasies of vehicular assault against the Murdoch boys. <laughs> that said, I am duty-bound as a gentleman to perform that part of the show I loathe even more than Gibbo's nasty poems, the songbird segment. Forgive me for I am now contractually obligated to sing. A pussy walked downtown. It was out the forest soul to stake. It wasn't feeling kind. It was sliding round. It was out to claim a stake. All of a sudden, it came across a young man playing his stick and playing it hard. And I, Sir Alex Saran, leapt forward, presented my behind, and asked, Hey, little soldier, would you be so kind? No, no, Tarquin, I won't do it. I won't sing this. I admit it is, along with Britney Spears and Justin Bieber, an example of Western civilization. But may we never speak of it again.
Tarquin here. Sorry, Cephalic, not only will we speak of it again, but we'll also broadcast it to the ether for a billion years to note. I must say you sang that line about your behind with panache. <laughs> Dearest listener, Jane has put on this salon music to signal the end of Gibbo's nasty notes and the beginning of our short reviews of other writers or a short chapter from the taxidermy story. Next week, a 60-second review of David Sedaris. But now, chapter three of the stuffed wombats and plastinated bandicoots of deranging skins. No, sorry, Jane. Before we hear his deplorable book about stuffed koalas and eviscerated platypuses, may I talk to Gibbo about our legal contract? Good God, what was that? Sir Alec Jane's a huge fan of Laurie Anderson. She even has the haircut. It's true. Laurie Anderson is my inspiration. No, Jane, don't patch him through. Tarquin, be a gentleman and allow me to set a quiz for you. I lost your quiz, and now I must read your notes. You laughed because I said Winston Churchill invented zero. What I meant to say was the contribution Churchill made to Western civilization is comparable in significance to the concept of zero. But you ignored the nuance, and I was foolish enough to sign a legal document. I thought it was all a bit of faculty versus student fun in the university bar. But it was a snare. So, be a gentleman and give me a chance to win back my freedom. Why don't you take a quiz on Western civilization that I set for you? If you lose, then set me free from this blasted, blasted show. Cephalic, I don't have much to gain. I've already won what I want. But how about this? If I win your quiz, then you have to give me another five minutes every week of your time to sing whatever songs I write for you. You go no fa fa ding dong ra ra style. You know the thing. And if I lose, then you get back five minutes of showtime, and you can do whatever you want with it. We have a wager, then. Same rules as my quiz? Affirmative. You must correctly answer seven out of ten questions. No worries, Sir Alec. It so happens I've brought along some questions. Okay, shoot. I'm beyond confident, but don't go on too long, or I'll have to postpone the reading of deranging skins. Of course, Tarquin. I have everything I need right here for us to begin. (laughs) Tarquin. Who wrote or translated a vindication of the rights of woman? A. Malala Yousafzai B. Fatima Arafat C. Jyoti Patel D. Mary Wollstonecraft Malala Yousafzai, what a spunky little thing she is. Question 2. Who invented communism? A. Jocko Sahato B. Benazir Bhutto C. Karl Marx D. Sachin Tendulkar Really, Sir Alec? Do you think I'm an idiot? It was the Indonesian god Jocko Sahato. Question 3. Who abolished slavery? The French? The Chinese? The Congolese? The Alakis? 
Oh, the Congolese, of course. They had the most to gain from slavery ending. Four. Who first separated religion from state? A. Mao Zedong. B. Catherine the Great. C. John Locke. D. Abdurrahman. Everyone knows that. Mao Zedong, just after he kicked the British out. Five. Which nation started the Industrial Revolution, which gave us textiles, iron and steel, machines, chemicals, and transportation? A. Pakistan. B. Apache. C. Israel. D. England. Israel. Who first gave women the right to vote? A. The Sunni. B. The Norwegians. C. The Tibetans. D. The Greeks. The Greeks, of course. They invented democracy, didn't you know? Seven. Who gave us the notation for and the term differential in differential calculus, which allow us to solve most problems of classical physics and chemistry? A. Musa al-Karizmi. B. Confucius. C. Nelson Mandela. D. Gottfried Leibniz. Musa al-Karizmi. The Arabs gave us a lot, you pre-jaundiced old fart. Eight. Who gave us algebra? A. Musa al-Karizmi. Nelson Mandela. Gottfried Leibniz. Confucius. Gottfried Leibniz. Ha! I remember that one from your Western Civ classes. Question nine. Where did the Enlightenment come from? A. Western Europe. B. The Buddha. C. The Awakened. The Woke. And D. Thomas Edison. Uh, the Buddha was enlightened before Western Europe was a twinkle in Rome's eye. Final question, Tarquin. And it's an important one for both of us, because if you fail to answer it correctly... I will win five minutes of your show to do with whatever I wish. Who invented philosophy? A. The Hindus. B. The Vikings. C. The Chinese. D. The Greeks. E. The Nigerians. Oh, the Hindus, no doubt. The Rig Veda is the oldest philosophical set of texts in any Indo-European language. A thousand years older than Heraclitus. Clight. Clit. Clight. Clit. Clight. Clit. Clight. Clit. Clight. Clit. Clight. Clit. It's Heraclitus. Clitus. But nevertheless, nevertheless, ha <laughs> I'll tell you up your answers and get back to you shortly. <laughs> oh dear. Because of Sir Alex's revenge quiz, we don't have enough time to read Deranging Skins this week. Well, well. On to next week we must go. Thank you very much for listening to my, Jane's and Sir Alex's third podcast. Next week. Male geishas, taxidermy, notes on male feminism, fanciful etymology, stories of Gibbo's superpowers, New York stinks, love songs to himself, island life, anthropological notes, still not running over the Murdochs, and so many other short, tall stories. No legal responsibility is taken by the producers for any injury caused by following the toilet exercises described in this podcast. The bar is low, but I'm still jumping. Our 
our home is patreon.com slash gibbosnastynotes. 